Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to um, Isaiah. I was about to say Acts, but that's totally wrong New Testament and everything. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 64 this morning. Isaiah chapter 64. And then uh, hold your finger there. We're also going to be in Isaiah chapter 35 as well. So Isaiah chapter 64. And then um, hold your finger there. We're also going to be in uh, Isaiah chapter 35. You ever uh, started your day and you already felt depleted and empty when you started your day? Anybody been like that? Yeah. Don't you just love it? You know, you wake up and you're supposed to be refreshed and renewed and, you know, energized and, and you know, ready to start the day. And you're like, I just need to go back to bed for another like 10 hours. Uh, maybe some of you are there this morning. Hopefully not. Hopefully you'll stay awake for the next few minutes. But I think many of us have been there in our lives where we're just exhausted. We're fatigued. And I know this past uh, five or six weeks for me has, has been very draining. Um, found out I had viral meningitis about six weeks ago. And uh, it's one of those things where even about to fall over right now, uh, even even doing simple things, uh, I, I realize how draining it is for me. Um, you know, it's one of those things I'm trying to figure out what I can do, what I can't do. And then a couple days later, I realized I probably shouldn't have done what I did. So um, but anyway, I think all of us have been there. And the point I'm trying to make is that there are times in our lives where we get worried, we get bogged down, we get de- depleted, de- de- defeated, uh, discouraged. Uh, sometimes we tend to worry and stress over things that really we have no business worrying and stressing over because we can't control them. And I've been guilty of that many times in my life, and I'm sure you have been guilty of that as well. Something happens in your life, a situation that happens, maybe you get an illness, a disease, and, and you're worried about it and you're stressing about it. But really, I've learned that it doesn't really help anything. And usually it makes things worse. And there's many times in our lives where we take things into our own hands. But again, as I've said for many, many weeks and many, many months, it's this life that we're living is not ours. This life that we're living is God's. And he has placed us here to live for his honor and his glory. But there's something very important that God wants us to do on a daily basis. God wants us to renew us. What I'm talking about is every day we need to renew our mind, our bodies. We need to renew our strength. We need to realize that every day we need God much more than we needed him the day before. And there's many times in my life, I look at my own life here for a few minutes, where I kind of try to, in a sense, coast on my spiritualness. Understand what I'm saying? I try to coast on what the Lord has given me a few weeks ago, maybe in devotions or message I preached or something I read or something I heard. And, and I know if I've been there and guilty of that, then I'm sure you've been guilty of that as well. And I think sometimes too often we do that in a sense, man, I, I heard a great message a few weeks ago. I had a great devotion, great thought. So I'm good for the next few weeks. That's not how it works. Every day, God wants us to renew. God wants to refresh us, to encourage us. He wants to give us the strength and grace to handle each day in every situation. But one thing we must do, and one thing that's very hard for me, is to be patient. Isaiah chapter 40, 31 was one of my favorite verses as a kid growing up, and it still is. I've had different life verses at different seasons of my life. But Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. I can't wait until that day when I can just even walk or run or do anything and not feel like I'm about to faint. But really, it's more than the physical side. It's more of the spiritual side. There are many times in my life where I I go through my day, I go through the week, and I feel like I'm just about to just be totally exhausted and totally drained, and and I'm just going to fall over. Well, it's God reminding me that I need him. And as I said last week, how important it is for us to need the presence of God in our lives on a daily, consistent basis. You know, with the sickness that I've had for the past several weeks now, you know, one thing that I've, you know, tried to tell people, I'm just trying to, in a sense, to try to get my strength back, get back to where I was. And, and I understand what I'm saying, but I even started thinking about that last night. I think sometimes when life happens to us, we, we say things like that. I'm just trying to get back to where I was. But I don't think God wants us to get back to where we were. I think God desires that we go forward. I think God desires that we get to the place where he wants us to be. So going back is not the place where we're supposed to be. Going forward is where we're supposed to be. And that's what I've learned. That's what I've realized in my life, that it's not about getting back to where we were. It's about getting to where we're supposed to be. It's realizing that we were made for more. The theme for this year is understanding what it means to thrive, understanding that we were all made for more in our lives. Isaiah chapter 35, flip there if you would. I want to look at something for a few minutes, and we'll be back in chapter 64. But Isaiah chapter 35 is a very telling chapter of Scripture in this book. Isaiah is a great prophet. We'll talk a little bit about his life here in just a few minutes. But throughout Israel's life, there were a lot of times where they felt like they were in desert-type moments. And what I mean is this. There were times where they were literally drained and depleted. You ever been in an actual physical desert? Anybody? Yeah, it's... It's not really comfortable. A couple things I've learned about desert life is that it's hot and it's uncomfortable. And there are times in our lives where it feels like we're in our desert experience, where things just aren't going the way that we intend them to go. Now, spiritually speaking, maybe a desert experience comes from a sickness, an illness. Maybe it comes from a broken marriage. Maybe it comes from financial uncertainty. There are a lot of things that can happen in our life that can lead us to a desert experience. And throughout Israel's life and history, there were a lot of difficulties for Israel. It seems when you study them in the Old Testament, it seems like almost every time you study them, they're fighting a war with someone else. They're in a battle. They're preparing for war. They're, they're getting out of a war. They're getting ready to fight another war. You know, wars are a constant reality in our life. God had a land that was prepared for Israel a land that was flowing with milk and honey, and he wanted them to enter into that land. We think of that back in Exodus when they were about to cross over the promised land. They got discouraged. They got depleted. They, they focused on their circumstances. They focused on themselves instead of focusing on God, and they had to stay in the wilderness for a few more years. And I think sometimes it happens in our own life spiritually. God is trying to push us through the wilderness to help us realize that we need God so much more than we thought we needed him. And there's been many times in my life, and that's not the message today, but I can talk about the many instances in my life where I felt like I've been in a literal desert experience. And I was wondering, when is this going to end? And sometimes I think I made it last longer than I needed to because I forgot about God during that desert experience. Because I focused on myself. I focused on circumstances that I had no control over. God's purpose 
for Israel and his purpose for us is to help us see God, to see himself, to offer hope in the midst of our despair. You see, the trials that we face are for our good, whether we realize it or not, and for his glory. There's a greater story that's waiting for us if we just hang on and let God tell the story and write the story. When our world is crashing around us, everything is out of control. Sometimes we fear our own survival. We, we doubt God's presence. And Isaiah 35 speaks vividly that God is there, that God has not deserted us even in the desert, that God is present in the middle of our situations and suffering. I want you to follow along quickly in verse number one of chapter 35. The wilderness... And the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice. Now, when you typically think of a desert, you don't think of something that's rejoicing. If I go to a desert, I'm not thinking, man, this is going to be a rejoicing time. I'm just going to hang out here and have a picnic for hours and just you know, play in this desert. I'm not thinking that. I'm not thinking it's going to be a joyful time. I'm thinking the opposite. But notice what Isaiah is saying, because he's trying to correlate this with Israel. And help them to realize that they don't have to stay here forever. Verse number two, it shall blossom abundantly. Think about that. You don't typically think a desert is going to blossom, right? And rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Shannon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with the recompense. He will come and save you. Excuse me. Then the eyes of the blind, this is important. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart as a deer. And the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out. And streams in the desert. That last phrase is very important. You see, even in the midst of our desert experience, God gives us a stream. He gives us something to hold on to. A desert is a vastness of domain that, that wants to devour everything and anything that challenges it. Many have been lost in the desert, physically and spiritually speaking. When life gets rough, when things seem to be drying up, it's very easy to give up, is it not? It's very easy to forget God. It's easy to complain and cry and whine about all the problems that we're having. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and thirsty for that spring of fresh water. A desert tries to suck us into the thought that there is no hope. But a desert forgets something important, that underneath those sands, there is a subterranean stream that's waiting to burst through. You see, in the middle of our problems, in the middle of our circumstances, God wants to burst through in our lives. He wants to show up. The desert seems like it's going to win, but Isaiah reminds the Israelites, and he's reminding us today, something important. The desert will begin to bloom. And as we saw in verses 4 and 5 and 6, lame men start leaping. The dumb, those that couldn't speak, start talking. The deaf can hear. The blind can see. And all of a sudden, something amazing happens. The waters just break forth. Can you imagine that picture? And as it says at the end of verse 6, there are streams in the desert. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what's gone on. 
But I dare say that every single one of us will go through a desert experience. Maybe we're in it right now. Maybe we've just come from it. Maybe we're about to go in it. But I'm here to tell you to hold on. And I want us to flip over to chapter 64, and I want to see something very important. And really, this message ties perfectly with last week. As we talked about wanting to see the presence of God in our lives. And really, the focus of this message is on renewal. Renewing our heart, renewing our mind to be more like Christ. Every day, as I said earlier, every day we need to ask God to renew us. To strengthen us, to give us the grace to make it through that day. We can't expect to live off of the the renewal several weeks ago or several months ago or several years ago. And we look around our society and it's, it's very easy to think revival will never happen. It's very easy to think that God will, will not again come down and his presence will be felt and people will be saved as was in, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. But I'm here to tell you that revival can happen. God wants to come down. God wants to show up in this place. God wants to show up in your heart, in your life, but as I've said many times before, we have to let him. We have to allow him. And really, renewal and revival go hand in hand. They're not just probable and possible, they're inevitable. When God comes down and his presence shows up in our midst. When you study the life of Isaiah, I want to quickly look at his life. Isaiah was a prophet of God called to preach to God's people in the southern kingdom of Judah in the 8th century BC, and there were a lot of turmoil, a lot of wars, a lot of struggles going on during his day. During his reign, he had preached for 40 years, or during his lifespan, four kings had served under the time that Isaiah was alive, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And for the past 200 years, Israel has been now divided into two kingdoms. No longer are they just one kingdom. They have the northern kingdom, and they have the southern kingdom. And with each passing day, they are becoming more and more idolatrous. They are giving in to their own ambitions and doing what they want instead of what God wants. And I see a great correlation with America today. That with each passing day, that we are becoming more and more self-righteous. More and more, we think it's about ourselves. More and more, we are becoming idolatrous. And I would dare say there are a lot of idol worshipers within this building today. Well, that's a harsh statement. I don't have a thing I bow down to. Anything that takes the place of God is an idol. And there are many of us, and myself included, has been there before, where I've put something above God. We've talked about preeminence and prominence a lot. God deserves preeminence, first place. Not just prominence, not just a part of our life. He deserves first place, and it's something that I'm still trying to figure out what that means, but it means me giving up my ambitions, my desires, my goals for his goals for his desires, for his ambitions. America is a great country, and I'm so thankful to be born and raised here and live here. But America, too often, and Christians in our churches have forgotten God and have started doing what they wanted to do. Isaiah is trying to warn the people of Judah of God's approaching judgment because of their moral and spiritual decline. We have a lot of problems in our society today, and we have a lot of Christians that are not standing up for what is right, but instead are giving in to the lies of the world and the culture around them. And we wonder why God is since 
It seems like he's removing his hand of blessing upon our nation. Now, fortunately, he's still here, and I'm thankful for that. But God wants to remain faithful to the Israelites, to his covenant. He wanted to preserve a godly remnant. And as we come to chapter 64, here's what Isaiah is doing. He's praying for renewal. He's praying that God would come down in the midst of the Israelites, that God would come down in the midst of this nation and revive them, restore them, renew them, give them a passion that they once had. And there's been many times in my life again that I've seen that passion for God that was once strong, burning strong, that has started to flicker away. How many have ever started a fire only to see it go out? Anybody? I think everyone that started a fire in here, right? Now, there's a lot of reasons why a fire goes out. A couple reasons is maybe a lack of energy. But one reason, very important reason, is maybe it's not stoked. In order to keep the fire going, you have to work it, right? You can't just light a match and expect the fire to just burn for the next hundred years. That'd be great, but that doesn't happen. We have to continually work the fire. But let's put this in our own lives. Has the fire, the passion that you once had for God started going out? Well, no, it's not gone out because I'm here. It doesn't mean anything. I look out sometimes and I see people, it seems like they're bored to death. What it shows me and what it shows myself sometimes is that obviously there's no passion for God. Man, is he almost done? William Booth once said, look well to the fire of your soul, for it is the tendency of a fire to go out. How often in your Christian life do you take the necessary steps to make sure you're right with God? Just like if you were starting a fire, it's cold outside, you're trying to roast something on it, you're gonna take the necessary steps to keep that fire going, right? But how often in our lives are we taking the necessary steps to make sure the fire, the passion that we once had for God does not go out? How often are we examining ourselves in light of the cross? Or how often are we examining everyone else and seeing where they need to get better? Are you yearning for God's presence in your life? Is there a true desire for God to come down in your life and in the midst of this church? You know, one of my prayers, and it's, it's a serious prayer, is that God would come down in my life, that God would show up, that God would show up in this place, that his presence would be real, that his power would be felt. But it's not enough for me to just pray it. We all have to have that prayer. And there's a couple of very important things I want us to look at for the next few minutes. What happens when God comes down? Verse number one of chapter 64. Here's Isaiah. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. He's saying, God, I want you to come down. I want you to be with us. As I said last week, you know, Moses wasn't content with God sending an angel before them, but not being with them. Isaiah, in a sense, is praying the same thing. God, I need you. We sang that song this morning or the quartet. Lord, I need you every hour of every day of every moment. I need you. Most gracious, most heavenly father. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. 
And when the, the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries. Kind of like that song that was just saying. That the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things, when we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Here's, here's the first thing that happens when God comes down. We experience God's presence. We experience God's presence. Have you ever experienced God's presence in your life? It's an amazing thing, isn't it? But why are we content with just experiencing once a week or once every other week or once a month or once a year? If you've experienced it, you know how wonderful it is. So why aren't you praying and seeking God that you'd experience that same presence on a daily basis? Amazing things take place when God comes down. And here we have in verses 1 through 5 a great story. When God comes down, when we experience his presence, the first thing that happens is this. Mountains will melt. Now, that's amazing. As it talks about the mountain coming down and flowing at the presence of God, mountains are ginormous, huge. I got my little thing in there. They're ginormous. They're big. They're massive obstacles. And when we look at a mountain, if you've ever actually been face to face with a mountain, it's, it's very majestic. But it's a huge obstacle that, that is standing in the way of you getting to where you need to go. Now just think, when God comes down, when his power is felt, even mountains will melt at his presence. And a lot of times we will think of a circumstance in our life or a situation we're going through. And man, this is a mountain experience. I'm, I'm just having a hard time with this. It's, it's so big. It's so ginormous. It's, uh, it's, it's just taking over me. But if God is is coming down in your life and you're experiencing his presence, you're seeking him, you're trying to spend time with him more than just Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, you are trying to, to get alone with God, then God will come and he can even remove the mountains. He can make the mountains in your life, the obstacles begin to melt. He can do this physically, he can do this literally, figuratively, he can do it all because that's who God is. You know, Isaiah he wants to meet with God. He's praying for revival. He's praying for renewal. We talked about this last week about worship. It's about experiencing the presence of God. But revival is what happens when God comes down. And that's my prayer, that God would come down in our midst and revive our hearts and do something amazing in and through this church. I've seen it happen in the three and a half years I've been here. I've seen proverbial mountains be removed and melted at the hand of a great and mighty God. I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen in your homes where there was a mountain where an insurmountable circumstance was too great and God came down because you allowed him to come into your midst. You allowed him to come into your home and God took care of it. Why aren't we praying for that on a daily basis? Well, he fixed he fixed my home, he fixed my marriage, he fixed my illness, so I'm just going to go back and do whatever I wanted to do before. Why? When God comes down, we experience his presence. Mountains begin to melt. Second thing, verse number two. And when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known, thy name great, to thine adversaries, those that are against God, those that are against his church, that the nations may tremble at thy 
presence. We experience God's presence. First of all, mountains will melt. Second thing, sinners will shake. Nations will tremble at his presence. Here's the thing. When revival happens in your life and mine, when revival happens in this church, then the world and the mockers of God and Christianity won't be able to handle it. The unsaved will cry out for mercy because God's presence is way too awesome. Not only will mountains begin to melt, sinners will shake. The third thing, the righteous will rejoice. Verse four, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for thee. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth. For we have sinned in those in continuance, and we shall be saved. The righteous will rejoice, but God wants to show up in our lives. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to come down and renew you and revive you. Do you remember the moment when God first came down in your life? Talk about the moment you got saved. Maybe there's some here today that have never experienced that. You don't know what I'm talking about. But I dare say there's many that have experienced God's salvation. I'll never forget that day in my life. I was just a four-year-old boy, almost five in Indiana. And I don't really remember anything prior to that. Sometimes I don't remember much past that. But even last night as I was going over the message, I was thinking about this. And I can vividly remember that night that I got saved. can't remember the outside of the house, but I can remember the bedroom where I was in. I remember the hallway that had three bedrooms. My parents were on one side. Uh, I was in the middle. My sisters were on the other side. And I remember giving my life to Christ. And I remember realizing I was a sinner. And I realized that I needed Jesus Christ to come into my heart and save me. And I asked Jesus to save me. And I was so excited. And I went and shared the news with my sisters. And I went and called my, my aunts and uncles. And I called my grandparents because I was so excited that God came into my life. You know what? There's been many times where that passion has dwindled. There's been many times, honestly, where I felt like quitting and giving up. And I've seen people that have. I've seen people that have allowed their circumstances to get the best of them and, and forget this, forget God. There are people that don't come to church today or churches because they've been hurt, they've been burned by a church. And I'm so sorry for that. It happens because humans are in, in the leadership role, but... It's not about some man, some woman. It's about God. It's about trusting him. But when God comes down into your midst, into your presence, when you allow him to experience everything about God, righteous, the righteous will rejoice because God's name is great. God's name is powerful. In 1735, God came down in New England. Jonathan Edwards recorded what he saw in his own town. Preached an amazing message, didn't live very long, but amazing things took place because of Jonathan Edwards' life. But he said this, the town seemed to be full of the presence of God. It never was so full of love nor of joy, and yet so full of distress as it was then. There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. It was a time of joy and families on account of salvation being brought to them. 
Parents rejoicing over children as newborns and husbands over their wives and wives over their husbands. Our public assemblies were then beautiful. The assembly in general was from time to time in tears while the word of God was preached. Some weeping with sorrow and distress, others with joy and love, others with pity and concern for the souls of their neighbors. I like what he said there at first. The town seemed to be full of the presence of God. Could that be said about Decatur, wherever you live? That people actually wanted God to come down, were concerned for their own sin, were concerned for the sin of others, were concerned that their life might not be right, that they need to do some things to change and not live for themselves, but actually live for God. You know, I went through my high school years and somewhat lived for God. I mean, I was a pastor's kid, so I did what I was supposed to do. I knew what I was supposed to say and how to act. Went to Bible college and studying for the ministry and still went through the motions in a sense. Got into ministry and was serving God. And again, there were times where I was just going through the motions. I knew what I was supposed to say. I knew what I was supposed to do. Knew what I was supposed to teach. But there were many times where I wasn't living that. And for my life, and I've said this before and shared it before, but it took God removing my son out of the equation to get me where I needed to be. And it's not saying how great I am and saying how great God is, but I've seen many people when something like that has happened, instead of following closer to God and trusting God and relying on him, they turn far from God. I'm thankful that God hasn't abandoned me in my moments of weakness. In my moments of distrust. When I have no idea what's going on around me. You know, too many of us are trying so hard to work and serve, but we're doing it for the wrong reasons. It's an amazing thing that happens when God is present in the midst of his people. I've been in churches where you can't wait to get there to see what God is going to do. But I've also been in churches where you just want to leave. And you wonder if God is ever going to come back. But God wants to show up in your life and he wants to continue to show up in this church. And when God comes down, something amazing happens. We experience true praise and worship. You ever been in a worship service and felt God's presence? It's unmistakable, isn't it? It's undeniable. When God comes down and things happen, and I've been a part of services where you can tell the hand of God was there. People were coming to the altars left and right. People were getting saved. People were getting right with God, right with their neighbor, because they realized that it wasn't about them. But friends, that can't just happen one time. So often what we do is we talk about the past. We talk about what used to happen, how God used to show up. I still think God can still show up. I still think God can still do amazing things. If people realize they need God, they need him on a daily basis, a consistent basis. There's a lot of junk that goes on in our lives. We need God's guidance. We need his leadership. We need his grace. Zig Ziglar once asked a congregation, he said, have you ever experienced a boring worship service to which many people raise their hands? But then he replied, no, you haven't. You may have experienced a boring church service, but worship is never boring. 
And as I said last week, worship is about coming into the presence of God. You know, there's been times where I've sat in services where I'm literally, is this guy going to end? He's so boring. He's so dry. But I had a wrong attitude. I had a wrong heart. How can I expect God to show up if my heart is not right with him? And I know I'm not the greatest preacher in the world, but I know if I've struggled with that attitude when I've gone to places and listened to preachers, then I'm sure many of you have as well. So how do we expect God to show up? How do we expect his presence to come down? How do we expect anything to take place in our lives? Man, seriously, all he does is yell every week. And I've seen people again, and I'm not trying to, to, to berate anyone. Really, I'm just showing my love and passion. But I've seen people that, man, I honestly, I don't even know why they're here. They don't want to be here. I'm not talking about kids or teens that you're dragging to church. But I've seen adults that, I mean, they're coming of their own free will, and they're just, I'm just going to stay out there for a while, and then I'm going to come in whenever I feel like it, and then I'm going to leave. And I'm, What's up with that? And we let everyone else know how, how mad we are at a situation, how angry we are, how upset we are. Pretty sure God's going to show up in your life. Pretty sure God's going to show up in this church and do an amazing thing when you're hindering the spirit. Ah, it's just boring. I don't like the songs that we sing. I don't like the classes that we sing. It's not about you. Second thing, quickly. When God comes down, we experience his presence. But the second thing is this. This is awesome. We become aware of our sins. Verse 5b, Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. We have messed up. We have fallen short in those in continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as unclean thing. All our unrighteousness are as filthy rags. We do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. There is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and consumed us because of our iniquities. We have been corrupted by our own sins. And as it says here in 5 and 6 and 7, we dress in our own self-righteousness. We come to church in our own haughtiness and our own pride. We try to cover ourselves with the very thing that defiles us, our righteousness. But as Isaiah says, it's as filthy rags. Why would you get clean only to put dirty clothes on? <laughs> but we do that all the time. Well, God saved us. He's cleaned us up, but yet we continue to live the lifestyle that we want to live. Here's the truth. So many times we are more concerned about everyone else's sins and shortcomings than we are with our own self-righteousness. It's so easy to look at others and see where they fall short. I've been guilty of this many times. It's so easy to look at someone and, man, they just need to be better at this. They need to do better at that. If they were better at this, then this, we, we can list it all, all day. Until we're blue in the face. But it's so easy to do that instead of looking in the mirror and see our own self-righteousness. Instead of seeing, seeing us as someone that's, that's wicked and falling short of God's glory on a consistent basis. We're not God. It's not up to me to judge you all. 
But I've known many people, and you're probably in that category, because I know I am, that are very judgy, very judgmental. It's my right. I have to judge them. I have to try to help them out because I'm some superior being. You're not. God is. It's up to him to righteously judge other people. It's up to us to help other people. But so often we're so concerned with their sins that we forget about our own self-righteousness. I want you to listen to what R.A. Torrey had to say, a great preacher of the past. He says, I have a theory, and I believe it to be true. There is not a church, chapel, or mission on earth where you cannot have revival, provided there is a little nucleus. That is a small group, a little nucleon of faithful people who will hold to God until he comes. First, let a few Christians, they need not be many, get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. If this is not done, the rest, I'm sorry to say, cannot be done. And it will come to nothing. Second, let them bind themselves together to pray for revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. Third, let them put themselves at the disposal of God to use them as he sees fit in winning others to Christ. That's a great prescription right there. First, they need to get right with God. Second, bind themselves together through prayer. That's why two years ago, we started the upper room prayer time, and it's kind of drifted a little bit. Sometimes people come, sometimes, sometimes people don't come. But we put that in place because we wanted God's people binding together, praying for the sins of other people, praying for salvation to happen in this church, praying for people to get right with God. And if you miss out on that prayer time, you're missing out on a great time. You need to show up to that because we need to collectively pray for God's blessing, Pray for God's guidance. Pray for God's deliverance. Pray for God to show up. Are you putting yourself at the disposal of God to allow him to use you as he sees fit? Or is it one of those things, well, I'll do that, but I'm not going to do that. Well, who are you? Who am I to think that? Dr. Torrey finished and he said this, that's all. That's all it needs. This is sure to bring revival in any church or community. I have given this prescription around the world. It has been taken by many churches and many communities, and in no instance has it ever failed and cannot fail. And it cannot fail when we allow God to do what he's created to do. When we allow God to be God, to be in charge, when we give ourselves to prayer, when we submit to his authority and leadership in our lives. Look, revival isn't a different, difficult thing to comprehend. It's a tough thing to be willing to do. Get right with God, pray, and allow God to do what he wants in your life. That's it. What is needed for revival? What is needed for renewal? A stirring up again. That's what it says in verse number seven. That stirreth up himself. God wants to stir us up to do what he has called us to do. When we have God's presence, as I said last week, we need nothing more and should settle for nothing less. When God comes down, we become aware of our sins that are standing in our way and hindering God's working in our life. And I want to make a quick application. We're done. Not only do we see God's presence, we experience it. Not only to become aware of our sins, but how can we be revived? How can we be renewed? First of all, verse number eight, we need to recognize God's sovereignty. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the, what? Clay. Thou art potter. We are all the work of thy hand. 
God's sovereignty that's talking about his control. That God is in control of everything. That we are just the clay that the potter is molding and shaping. God doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. Do you truly want God to come down in your life? It's not up to us to control something that God never wants to control. And I've met in my office over the years, not just since I've been here, but over the years, with many people that control was an issue. They didn't like how something was done, whether it was in the youth group that I was in, whether it was in a children's ministry or music ministry, the church, and it all had to do with control, but it's not ours to control. It's God. So trust God and his sovereignty, his leadership. I'm not saying you trust me, but I am the chosen vessel that God has placed here. So by not trusting me, you're saying, I don't trust God. I don't believe in God. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I am far from it. I know I'm going to make mistakes, and I've made many mistakes. But when people get thrown into a tangent with some preacher, some pastor, and I've seen it growing up in a pastor's home, they get mad, they get upset. They never really go to the pastor and talk to him to see if it's actually true or not, but they get upset with some things, and all they're doing is showing they don't trust God. No, I don't trust that man. No, you don't trust God because he has placed that man there. Not many amens, I guess. It's not up to us to control something. It's time to step aside and allow God to lead. What must we do? We must recognize God's sovereignty, that God is in control. Second thing is this, remember God's mercy. Verse number nine. Be not wroth, very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee. We are all thy people. God, show mercy for us. God, God wants to extend mercy in our lives. God would rather forgive sins than punish sins. But our problem is that we're not willing to repent. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise that some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, God wants to forgive us when we fall short. Third thing, quickly, and we're done. Ask for God's glory to be revealed. This has been a consuming thought in my life for the past few weeks and months. God, show up. God, come down. God, reveal yourself to me, to this people. God, make your glory to shine forth. Several months ago, I preached a message on being a reflector of God's glory. Who do people see when they look at you? They see some cranky individual? Do they see God? Do they see Jesus in you? You know what revival is? Is when God comes down. Don't you want to see that in our church? But we've been growing, Pastor. I don't care. There's a lot of people that still need to be revived and renewed. And I dare say, every single one in this room needs to be renewed daily. We don't need to persuade God to send a revival. We only need to permit him to do so. Church, it's time for revival. I feel like this is a message or messages that I need to preach every couple of years because we fall away from God. 
It's time to be renewed. It's time to figure out what true worship is all about. It's time to see God's glory. It's time as Isaiah is praying, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, is our prayer that God would come down into our midst. It's time for God to come down, but you have to let him.